Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, if you're joining with us for the first time, I want to say welcome, but you've kind of jumped in at the very tail end of our teaching series on uh, the topic of spiritual disciplines. And so for the last number of weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines or practices that help us grow in love for Jesus. Things that if we do consistently, things that if we implement on a regular basis will help our relationship with God. We've talked about things like prayer and fasting and studying the Bible. We talked about worship and community. And last week, we talked about giving, which everybody was like so stoked to hear about. They're like, yeah, the pastor's talking about money. Let's do this thing. And we talked about these, uh, these different practices that help shape us as disciples of Jesus. And so last week, we talked about giving. And guess what? This week, we're also going to talk about giving, but not giving just in the sense of money, like what we highlighted last week, where we talked about honoring the Lord with our finances and what that looks like, sacrificial generosity and how that needs to be uh, a way of the disciple of Jesus. I want to talk about something that you might argue is a little more valuable than your money, and that is your time. We're going to talk about serving today. And the giving of your time, the giving of your talents, the giving of your treasure even in some sense. Do you see what I did there? It's alliteration, time, treasure, talent. I want you guys to be impressed because that never happens. Uh, It's almost like I'm a real pastor or something like that. Boom. But we're talking about giving of ourselves. We're talking about serving others, serving Jesus and serving the church. Um, And it's the giving of oneself to benefit somebody else. That's really how it boils down, and that's really the crux of what we're looking at and where we're going to go today. It's something that Jesus modeled, that Scripture commands, and the church and the world desperately need. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to serve. And as I talk about this word serve, I want to be clear, I'm not just talking about volunteering. You know, we're not just here to get you to sign up to to volunteer your time. Because there's plenty of good organizations that exist. There's decent people out there that are giving their time and their resources because they believe in a cause. But to serve is a bigger idea than that. To serve biblically, at least, is a bigger idea than just mere volunteering of your time. But at its core, it's motivated by love for Jesus and actually serves as a demonstration of his grace through our acts of service. It's a big idea. We're going to attempt to unpack this a little bit this morning, and uh, I'm really excited to kind of dig into it a little bit deeper. But before we do that, I want to remind us of something, and that is the fact that uh, if you're visiting with us, these awkward pauses where I stop are definitely planned 100% of the time. They're for dramatic effect. No. Uh, if you guys want to be, if I can, can I be honest here? Because I, I realize I'm losing my train of thought, but I got to be real. I have the anointing oil on my fingers still, 
And so when I went to go scroll to follow my notes, it didn't move. And so then I had this kind of brain shut off moment where I was like, what do I do? Now I have to click because my finger is oily. It won't work. Anyway, everybody know what we're talking about? <laughs> Everybody's like, wow, what a colossal waste of time, Pastor Nate. Uh, we're talking about giving, or we're talking about serving. Wow, I went back a week. I, I use that analogy that giving and serving are kind of the same, just different things that we give. Whew, Jesus, help me. <laughs> I wanted to remind us of this, is that guilt is almost always a terrible motivator to do something. I say that because I want to remind us, like when we were talking about prayer, I didn't teach on prayer because I just thought you guys were a bunch of like lazy disciples that needed to pray more. And I wanted you to feel guilty and have you guys pray more. In the same way, I didn't want you guys just to fast out of a place of guilt because you felt like you were a lousy faster. So you're going to fast more because you felt guilty. And I just want to be clear as we talk about serving today. As we talk about giving of your life and giving of your time uh, to a particular cause, and I'm going to kind of highlight here talking about the church in general, uh, I don't want you to serve the ministry. I don't want you to serve God um, or even other people as we kind of highlight these different things out of a place of guilt. It's got to be motivated by love for Jesus. And if it's not, uh, guilt is just a terrible, terrible motivator in this sense. And so... Um, I know a lot about uh, guilt-tripping people. Uh, I hate to admit that I've done it quite frequently, and I like to think that I don't like guilt-trip guilt-trip people into like going to church or like giving the tithe or something like that. But uh, you can ask Cody, who sits here on the front row, that I uh, I guilt-trip guilt-trip people a lot into playing ultimate frisbee. Um, <laughs> Prime example, like last Sunday, I called Cody up, and we were down one player to play like even teams on Ultimate Frisbee. If you guys don't know, this is an important announcement for the church. We, uh, we play Ultimate Frisbee every Sunday at Yamaguchi at 6 o'clock. If you want extra like Christian points and you want to get on my like good side, I know that the whole message and series that we've been talking about, like that's not a thing, but if you do want to like brownie points, come play Ultimate Frisbee with me. I'd be stoked, but... I can call Cody up, and he's determined in his heart that he's not going to come. <laughs> he went and like worked out at the gym, and he's like, I did leg day. I'm not going to be there. But instead, I called him up, and I was like, Cody, we are down one person. We need you. I'm like, no, I don't know, man. I don't really want to come. I was like, but we need you. And who was there five minutes later was Cody, and we had excellent games of Ultimate Frisbee. And I'm talking about how... Guilt is a terrible motivator for some things, except for Ultimate Frisbee. So if I guilt you into coming to play Ultimate Frisbee, know that that does not fall into the category of talking about guilt. But the, the reality of it is, is I just don't want us practicing these things. I don't want us to, to feel like we're going to pray more, we're going to fast more, we're going to give more, we're going to open ourselves up to community more because the pastor made us feel guilty on a Sunday morning in a message. If you feel convicted about these things, that's a good thing. That's a great place to start. We want that. But I don't want anyone to practice these things simply because they feel guilty. Because practicing any of these disciplines from a place of guilt isn't sustainable. You can't serve others from a place of guilt and have it be valuable. 
You also can't sustain an act or a life of service to other people based out of a place anywhere other than love for Jesus. I had a missionary friend kind of talk one time about how like, he's motivated to go and minister to people in, in all of these different places. And one of the things that he said was, um, my compassion will run out. Me feeling sorry for people and the situations that they're in, it eventually comes to the end. But there's one thing that never comes to an end, and that is the worthiness of Jesus. And so having the worthiness of Jesus serve as the motivating factor for us to be disciplined in these different areas is the only thing that is sustainable. Our service to God, to the church, and to one another is only properly motivated. Wow, that's not even close to what I wrote. Our service to God, to the church, and to one another is only profitable when motivated by love. I want, you, I want you, you to hear what the Apostle Paul says here in Galatians 5.13. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But through love, I want, I want you to kind of envision this, that, that, that language, through love. Love is the avenue it's the conduit for our service to be effective. I don't want you to listen to this message today and from a place of shame or guilt like I've talked about, feel like you need to sign up to serve on the worship team or like try to like put in your hours and put in your time serving in the nursery or something like that. Service through love is far more impactful than service through obligation. You can ask my wife that question. You, like, you, you could ask her to kind of demonstrate that. Has anybody here ever uh, done something for their spouse because you wanted something in return? <laughs> I have cleaned the house vigorously because I wanted to go snow, like snowmobiling or snowboarding at one point in time and wanted to ask Kelly if I could go. And so she'll come home and the house will be like magically clean. And all these things that I've done because there's this underlying motivation that I want to do something and I want to get something. This is confession time. Pray for your pastor. I am weak and I need help, but I've done that. How many of you, how many of you, okay, nobody's confessing to this. How many of you have a spouse that has done something like this? Does that make sense? We don't need confession time or anything this morning, but there's a difference when I serve my wife out of manipulation or I serve my, wife, serve my wife out of obligation, like I know I need to do something, and when I serve my wife simply from a place of love. And I would like to say that there are just an abundance of times where I go above and out of my way to do something special for my wife, and I know that I should simply because I love her and not because I need something from her. But those are the moments that I guarantee you my service is more impactful and recognized on her behalf. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? All the ladies in this room can agree. Like when your husband gets you flowers just to get you flowers because he loves you, there's something special there. Or he does the dishes or he cleans the floor or something. I, I don't know. You guys get where this is going and I hope that you can track with my thought there. I believe that service is powerful when it comes from a place of love, not simply obligation. 
In the same way that I think that God is interested in our prayer because we want to pray, not just because we're obligated to pray because we're Christians. Or even last week when we talked about giving, God isn't looking for us to give from a place of obligation, but he wants it to be a cheerful experience for us, right? In the same way, he's not looking for us to serve just to do our time, if you will, because we know that we're supposed to. It happens with a motivation of the heart. And he's interested in what's driving that fact. Does that make sense? He wants us uh, to serve out of a place of love. Excuse me. I'm just a mess. It's, it's all good. I'm going to take another drink. I'm here for you guys to laugh at me. It's good. I, guys, I almost didn't preach this message this morning. I almost didn't preach on service. Um, and I had planned on it. I had written the message. I had kind of thought about this for a really long time. And a number of weeks ago, I think I announced that we were coming to a conclusion today. And then we had something interesting happen at Deeper Project on Tuesday night. For those of you that are here, you were, you're, your mind's already automatically going to, yeah, that, that was kind of an interesting uh, interesting time together in our Bible study. We have a Bible study on Tuesday nights where we walk through the different books of the Bible. We've been walking through the Gospel of John. And this particular Tuesday night, we had an individual come that uh, had a particular agenda. And he, he had a self-proclaimed message for the church where it continually kind of circled back where this young man uh, wanted to share a message to the church and to the congregation about how we needed to follow Old Testament laws, that we needed to observe feast days and practice Torah in conjunction with Jesus in order to be right with God. And that's kind of the gist of it. And friends, I want you to know I have a lot of patience for people. I have a lot of patience for people that are even spiritually immature and walking through different scenarios and making room for people to, to, to have ideas that are wrong that we can gently come in and correct. Um, but on Tuesday night, we had this kind of back and forth, distracted nature of a service where everything was coming back off of the Gospel of John that we were supposed to be studying and pointed back to this individual's kind of message of us needing to have something in addition to Jesus' sacrifice in order for us to be right with God. And I would have to say that, uh, friends, I, I believe that that to be demonic. I believe that to be disruptive. And I believe that to be blasphemous and heresy. And I, I, I want to kind of address the situation here in my message because the Lord was stirring something passionately, passionately in me in terms of... Uh, this message on serving today. And so, what wound up happening was I had to invite, and I use that word, I invited this guy. I asked him to uh, leave. And I take that very seriously. I don't like asking people to leave, especially a context of a meal where we're studying scripture but I believe that this was distractive, that it was disruptive, and I do believe that it was demonic in a sense. 
and had to ask this gentleman to leave and asked him to step outside. Well, we continued our conversation, but I was very firm in the way that I asked this gentleman to leave. And I know that I don't always do things right, especially when I'm heated and passionate. When I'm playing ultimate Frisbee, the worst absolutely comes out of me. I understand that. Uh, and I can, get, I can get upset quite easily. But on Tuesday night, there was something just uh, that was under my skin about this whole situation that I was very frustrated. And I did invite this guy to leave. I asked him to leave and had a, had a, a, a long conversation with him. And so I say that, could I have handled the situation a little differently? Could I have been a little more gentle? Uh, probably, but I need you to understand my priorities as a pastor. And the, the idea of me being a pastor and the idea of me being a shepherd is one that I need to be accountable and looking out for my flock. And if there's something in regards to a, a false teacher, as scripture would talk about them as wolves amongst the sheep, my responsibility as a pastor is not to gently remove the wolf from the sheep. My responsibility, first and foremost, is to protect the sheep. And I, I want to I be clear. If you have questions about how that happened on Tuesday night, or if you have, if you have things that you're, you're wondering why I did what I did and the way that I did it, I would encourage you to talk to me because I know that I've received some kind of texts and phone calls and I would just want to let you know that I'm an open book. My office is open and I would encourage you to come and ask me questions, to talk with me personally about my reasoning for this. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, it was days later that Pastor Adam and I were still talking and we were still upset about this whole encounter. Like we were still kind of frustrated about how everything had happened and, and what was taking place. And it was so much more about what this gentleman was saying. And it's a front on Jesus and his sacrifice that we would need to do something more in order to inherit God's gift of grace and salvation that has left me unsettled. In fact, I almost completely scrapped my message this morning. It was going to share with you about Jesus being enough, about Jesus's sacrifice being sufficient, on Jesus literally being all that we need. And uh, that's how we kind of got to where I'm going today. And I wanted to give that background and that backstory. It's not up here me making apologies or, or something like that. I want you to understand where my heart is in going forward with this message, because I don't want somebody to become confused about us having to do something in order to be saved, in order for us to earn salvation. It doesn't come from a place of us doing more for God. There is nothing that we can do for God more in order for us to receive love from him. Does that make sense? He loves us because that's who he is. And I want to kind of delve into that just a little bit deeper here. And so as a pastor, I want you to know that I care greatly about the people that God has entrusted with us here. I care deeply about our ministry and each and every one of you. Um, I also care about this gentleman that I had to ask to leave. 
what a lot of people didn't see was that we did follow up with him. We did make sure that he was safe and that he was okay, that he had the things that he needed. There was follow-up conversation with that. But more importantly than any of this, I care about Jesus and Jesus receiving the glory that is due his name. And the idea that we're saved by anything other than what Jesus did on the cross is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And it's something that I can't kind of casually pretend didn't happen. And so um, you might be wondering here, what does any of this have to do with the topic of serving? Why are we talking about this? Where did this come from? Uh, I I hope this will help make sense this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions. Just so everybody understands, uh, Paul is talking about us here when we're reading this. So this isn't talking about somebody else. I want you to, uh, when we hear this, when we read this, understand that this applies to you and to me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast For we are all God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is where my heart has just been burning. This is where it's been, it's kind of been just engaged over the last number of days. And so if there's any confusion whatsoever at all, there is nothing good that we could have done or that we could do in order for God to save us. It was in spite of us not being good that God stepped into the picture and saved us. We were dead in sin, as Paul puts it in here, but God. We followed the ways of the world, but but God. We were serving a false king, an evil king. What we talk about here, the, the ruler of the air here, the kingdom of the air, that's talking about Satan. That's talking about the devil. (laughs) But God, we were disobedient. But God, we were gratifying ourselves. We were following our own desires. The exact antithesis here of what we're talking about in servanthood. But God, we were deserving of wrath. But God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. By grace. This, uh, this passage of scripture here, that, that verse there, has two very interesting words in it. Mercy and grace. Mercy, friends, is us not receiving what we do deserve. I've always used the example or the picture of us 
uh, getting a speeding ticket. And if I am speeding and I am going 85 in a 25 and I get pulled over, I don't think you get a ticket at that point in time. I think you just go to jail and they take your license. So let's use something. If I'm going 85 in a 65 and I get pulled over, I'm going 20 miles over the speed limit and they give me a hefty ticket, there's no arguing on my half uh, on whether or not I deserve that ticket. You may feel differently about speed limits, uh, but the reality of it is that's the law. And if the officer decides to give me a warning, I hope he doesn't give me a warning if I'm doing 85 in a school zone. Uh, <laughs> please, that's, that's negligence. But let's say I'm going 85 in a 65, and he lets me off with a warning. What he's doing is demonstrating mercy. Right, because he's giving, he's not giving me something that I do deserve. I deserve the ticket, but he's letting me off the hook. Right? Grace, on the other hand, is receiving something that we don't deserve, and that's what God gives us. We do not deserve the life and the forgiveness that God gives us. Because we haven't earned it. We haven't done something good enough. We haven't done something right enough for us to earn that grace. It's unmerited favor, meaning that there's nothing you did to deserve it, but he gives it anyway. Amen. And that's what we experience in Jesus is his grace. And all of this happens so that we might be glorified in, so that Christ might be glorified in and through us. And that's what we see here in verse 7 when it talks about the incomparable riches of his grace being shown off, being demonstrated in our lives. And so how does that happen? I believe that happens when we serve God by doing what God wants us to do. And that he's, he, he's actually demonstrating the riches of his grace. He's, he's putting his son on display to receive glory in our lives when we're doing what God wants us to do. And that's how I would define service to the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 says this, that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, we were made to serve God. We were actually made to do good works. He had things predestined from the foundation of the world that he said, you know what? I want these people to accomplish. I'm going to make them. I'm going to give them specific skills and abilities and gifts in order to do what I want from them. It's in his heart. It's in his nature. So there are good works for us to do. There are actually things that God expects of us. But we're not saved by the good works that we do. We're saved by the good that he's already done. But because of that, because of what he's already done, it's reflected in what we do. This, is, this can be somewhat confusing, um, and it's something that, uh, a conversation that has been being had for millennia now. But if we read what James says in James chapter 2, 14 through 20, we get some greater clarity on this whole thing. It says, what does it profit? I'm in James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So is what James saying here contradicting what Paul just said, that it's through faith alone that we have faith, or through faith alone that we find salvation? Wow, through faith alone that we have salvation. Because uh, Paul kind of earnestly says in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's not of works that we're saved. But here, James is talking about works. He says, what is faith without works? I want to be clear. James is not contradicting Paul when he insists, um, Paul, who insisted that we're not saved of works. James is clarifying. This is very important. James is clarifying for us the kind of faith that saves. It's not a nominal faith. It's not just saying that you have faith. It's actually when faith is demonstrated in action. That's where we see belief actually existing. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, but saving faith will have works that accompany it. There's this saying that kind of goes along the line, something along the line, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Does that make sense? I think that's very profound. And so as we're talking about serving, as we're talking about doing this for and with God, I want to be abundantly clear, and I think I have been, that our serving, our doing good works, in no way aids our salvation, but actually stems out because of our salvation. Our salvation is the reason for our serving. Our serving is not our means of salvation. Does that make sense? Us doing good? Cool. Cool. So belief in Jesus is demonstrating, oh, belief, wow, I don't know how I wrote words today because when I'm reading them, they don't make sense. But belief in Jesus uh, is demonstrated in us actually doing what he asked us to do. And so with all that being said, each one of our disciplines that we've chosen to teach on, uh, they could easily become sermon series in themselves. You know, we've talked about prayer, we talked about Bible reading, we talked about giving, all these different things. I could take multiple weeks to expound upon each and every one of these topics, and we would still need to write a book in order to cover them thoroughly and exhaustively. So we're not going to do that today when we're talking about serving, but I do want to highlight three particular things, and they're going to be highlighted very, very quickly. Um, but I, I, I kind of want to say this about serving. In, in, in the kind of the idea of it being a spiritual discipline. We serve God, we serve others, and I believe that there is a responsibility for us as a spiritual discipline to serve the local church. I'm going to kind of look at those in just a moment. And so, but before we get to any of that, our motivation for serving comes from the fact that God expects us to do it and he models it himself. We serve because Jesus serves. 
Just like with the other disciplines, we pray because Jesus prayed, right? We, we're doing them because Jesus demonstrated them to us, and we want to be more like Christ, right? We looked at Jesus praying. We looked at Jesus fasting. We looked at, uh, we looked at Jesus in the context of community. We looked at J- Jesus worshiping. We looked at these different things, and uh, we want to see those uh, replicated in our lives because we want to be like Jesus, And we serve because Jesus serves. This is what Jesus would say in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. He says that he called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gives his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus gave everything in service to others. He literally laid down his life uh, as a ransom here that we see. And that has to be the model for us when we approach this idea of serving others. Um, when it, in, in, and in all, uh, I guess, in all application in serving God is that it's our life laid down no longer for our selfish goals and motivations, but rather for that of the Lord. And it's this idea of serving others by putting their needs before our own and sacrificing our time and sacrificing our abilities in order to seeing someone else bettered because of it. Um, I think... Fitting in this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind let him esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross." I want to have the mentality and the mindset of Christ of viewing others as better than myself, as worthy of my time, as worthy of being inconvenienced. That I might serve them like Christ serves us. That's something that I need help with because guess what? Nate Ward likes himself. <laughs> I like my own stuff. I like, I like, I like living for myself. <laughs> And that is something that the gospel comes to disrupt and change and rearrange priorities that I might live for the betterment of others rather than for the, rather than just for myself. Does that make sense? I think it's a given, and this was my first point. We're not going to spend a a huge amount of time here, but that we're called to serve the Lord. We're called to serve God. And there's a bunch of different passages of scripture that we could kind of jump in on this, but I think uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 provides a very like just blanket, strong uh, covering here where it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. There is this mentality that whatever we set ourselves to do, we should have the mindset that we're doing it for the Lord. So whether it's cleaning toilets, whether it's answering phones, whether it's your, whether it's your job as a, as a mother or a father, understanding that everything we do, everything we do, needs to have it in perspective of we're doing this for the Lord. Now, if you're actively robbing banks or like dealing drugs, please have... Uh, please revisit this statement because <laughs> don't be doing that for the Lord. <laughs> uh, have the mindset that what you're doing is for the Lord. He probably doesn't want that, so um, let's change. Anyway, you guys get what I'm saying. But there's plenty of ways that we are called to serve the Lord, and the simplest of that is being demonstrated by following his commandments. John 15, 14 says this, that you are my friends if you do what I command you, and I love the inverse of that in John 14, 15, the inverse of the references. He says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so if we want to be friends of God, if we want to love Jesus well, we're to do what he asks us to do. And he gives us instruction all throughout the New Testament on what we should be doing, on how we ought to live. And one of those kind of things uh, comes out in a teaching in Matthew chapter 25. And there's this parable there of the sheep and the goats. And there's this parable of, of uh, Jesus at the end of the age separating the sheep from the goats. And uh, I just want to read verse 40 to you here. It says that the king will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these of my brethren, you did it to me. And he talks about, uh, he talks about in that parable of visiting those that are in prison of feeding those that are hungry, of clothing those that are naked, of giving a drink to those who are thirsty. And Jesus says, as often as you've served one of my brethren, you've served me. And so I want to make this point that we serve God by serving others. I think that's one of the primary ways that we serve the Lord, that we minister unto the Lord, is by actively serving one another. In fact, almost all of the times that we look up in Scripture where there's this idea of serving others, it talks about serving one another, serving in our midst and serving amongst our brethren. And I think that that is just remarkably profound. And we could talk about this for a very lengthy amount of time. But when we're talking about serving God and we're talking about serving others, I believe we can do both of those things in conjunction when we serve actively in the local church. I believe the local church is a, is a perfect outlet for us to serve God and serve others. And that's, I, I want to be clear, it's not only within the context of the local church that we get to serve God. And it's not only within the context of the local church that we serve the needy and we serve other people. But I do believe that there is a unique combination of factors that come into play that the context of the local church provides the perfect place for us to simultaneously serve God and serve other people. And I believe that something profound actually begins to happen when we approach the church, when we approach the local church in particular, as a place not where we come to be served, not where we come to be ministered to, but we actually come to serve and we come to minister. 
I believe something begins to change in our hearts, and I believe God begins to change some things in us, and we get to experience God in a remarkably powerful way when the mindset begins to shift from us to others and ultimately towards Jesus. Does that make sense? This is what 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 says, and um, I'm going to focus on one verse, but this passage of scripture is going to serve as kind of foundational for a future teaching. So I'm going to read all of it. It says that the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, man. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Oh, man. God convicts other people about this, not just me. <laughs> Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Paul would teach on uh, various spiritual gifts, especially in 1 Corinthians like chapter 12 through 14. We spend a good chunk of time talking about spiritual gifts. We also, in that same passage of scripture, talk about the body of Christ and everybody serving a particular role and having particular gifts. And I, I want to be clear that I believe that each and every person is uniquely crafted by God with different skills, with different giftings. Thank God we're not all called to be the same. I'm really thankful that we're not all called to teach, and I'm really thankful that not all of you are called to lead worship. Um, aren't you thankful that I'm not called to lead worship? <laughs> Have you heard me sing? <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> but I do believe that God has crafted each and every one of us uniquely and specifically for a purpose. And that there are spiritual gifts that he gives to each and every one of us um, in order for us to serve the body of Christ well. And so he teaches that everyone has received a gift. That's what Paul would talk about. And that everyone has an important role to play. And so with that being said, um, I'm excited to announce some of the changes that we're going to be making here on Wednesday nights. And so we have a... This church has, for a long time, have had, has had a prayer meeting that takes place on Wednesday night. Now, this is an announcement saying that we're done with prayer and we're going to stop praying. Uh, but in continuation and in association with our prayer gathering that takes place on Wednesday night, we're making a few changes. Uh, one of those changes is that we've implemented uh, live worship into that service and into that time together as we come together to pray, as we come together to intercede. And... Uh, with that, we're also going to be adding a time of teaching. Now, the teaching won't look exactly like it does here on a Sunday morning. It's not going to be a 30-minute sermon or anything like that. But we are going to have a time of teaching from the scriptures. 
uh, on different things like spiritual gifts. One of the first things that we're going to cover are spiritual gifts. And so you're here like, well, Scripture tells me that we've been given a spiritual gift, and I know that I'm supposed to serve, and I'm trying to figure out how all of this plays into each other. We want to invite you to join us on Wednesday night. Uh, beginning in October, we're going to not just have Wednesday night prayer, but we're going to call it something called prayer and practice because we want to have a space where we're actively praying together and we're praying for one another, but there's also scriptural biblical instruction on the gifts and the role of the Holy Spirit. And then we also want to be able to put these things and these gifts into practice in an environment that makes sense and an environment that is orderly and in line with scripture where we can explore the spiritual gifts. And so we want to invite you guys on Wednesday nights, starting in October, um, we're going to be uh, same time frame, still at six o'clock. We'll still be meeting at six o'clock, but we're going to be having a time of worship. We're going to be have a time of teaching from the word. And we're also going to begin to teach on the spiritual gifts, um, what they are, how to implement them. Um, because if you're anything like me, we've probably seen gifts abused. We've probably seen teaching gifts abused. We've probably seen gifts of the Spirit in terms of tongues and, 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 and speaking in tongues and all these different things abused in some kind of context. But that's not a good excuse for us to stay away from them. We've probably seen prophecy and things get kind of weird. And just because it's strange or we don't understand it, is not a good excuse for us not to practice it. And so we don't want to be Pentecostal just in doctrine. We want to be Pentecostal in practice as well. But we want to make sure that we're doing it in line with Scripture, that we're doing it in a way that is glorifying to the Lord, and it's something that we can engage with as a church. And so that's my plug. That was what this whole sermon was for, was for you to hear about Wednesday nights and join us on Wednesday night. And so... Uh, I say that because not everybody's gift is going to be teaching. Not everybody's gift is going to be leading worship or serving in the nursery. I served in the nursery one time, and I know that that is not what God has called me to. Sometimes you discover what kind of giftings you have by serving in places where you're not gifted, and you quickly realize this is not for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Well, kind of. That, that has happened. Um, but I do believe that God has something for each of us when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ. And I do believe that there is an area for us to serve in that's unique and is important for us to be engaged with. And so for the church to succeed in its mission, for Open Door Church to be successful in reaching our community with the gospel, of making disciples and of glorifying Jesus, I need you to know this is that we need you. We need you to serve. We need you to come alongside with the mission of this church and be engaged. We need nursery workers. We need children's workers. We need help with the worship team. and We need help with media. We have different places for people to get involved and to serve. And it can't, it can't be the same five and six people that consistently do it. And I say this because I feel like I'm looking out at a congregation that is eager to serve. That I can know because I've had conversations with you. I know that you guys are engaged at the Jesus Cafe. I know that you guys are, are actively serving on the hospitality team, that people are serving and sacrificing their time to help lead worship in these things. And you're like, I don't have any more time to give, Pastor Nate. 
This is where I want to remind you this didn't come from a place of I want to motivate you by guilt in order to sign up on a sign-up sheet so you can volunteer more of your time. But I want you to know that I believe that there is room here for you to serve in the mission of God. And uh, with that being said, I think we have a QR code, right, Adam? Cool. Adam is just the king of QR codes. And I'm really stoked. Uh, I guess, like, there are multiple people that found out about us by our website this week. And what you don't know is that we put the website live on Friday, I think it was. Maybe it was Thursday. (laughs) And I'm just wild to, I think that's wild to hear that uh, some of you guys found us based on our website, which we're actively working on, and we're trying to make it better and kind of make it up to date. But here, if you were to follow this link, you'll take you to the next steps page on our website where we have just a few places where you guys can sign up to serve on various teams and various aspects of ministry. And I don't want to, I want to say this as like, this is some kind of exhaustive list. This isn't like the only areas that we need help with or that, that, that we want you to serve. And you might be here this morning listening and, and thinking about how God has gifted you and said, you know what? The church really needs this to happen, and I don't see it on the website, so it can't happen. No, we want you to come to us. We want you to talk to Pastor Adam or myself um, because we do want you to be engaged, and we do want there to be an outlet for you to serve because I do believe that it's a spiritual discipline that we need to practice, that we need to implement if we're going to be like Christ. And um, more often than not, I believe that looks like serving others and serving people that are less fortunate than ourselves, and serving one another in the body of Christ. And I think one of the ways that that can practically be fleshed out on a consistent basis is by serving with the church in different areas that we need help. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me on that? Um, This kind of brings our spiritual discipline teaching to a culmination. Next week, we have something else that we're, we're, we're going in a different vein in teaching, and I'm excited about it. But I don't want it to feel like, oh, this is the end. We're done with this. Because all of these disciplines that we've talked about, we're supposed to grow in. And one of the things that Scripture is clear about is that we grow in these better in community, where we're to provoke one another, where we're to urge one another to grow in loving Jesus, and all of these things that we've talked about whether it be studying the Bible, we have deeper projects, we'd invite you to come and join us. If it's prayer, we're, we're doing this thing called prayer and practice. We enjoy, we would love if you would uh, come and join us on a Wednesday night. If it's community, we have different small groups and life groups that are made available that we would encourage you guys to get involved with. And if I could make a plug, like Friday night, the small group that Adam and Shelby host is rad. People made bread, all different kinds of bread. And it was, every, every meal, every part of the meal had a different thing of homemade bread. And that wasn't like a theme. Like we didn't text it out like, everybody bring your favorite bread. We had challah bread that wouldn't like, oh, it was so good. Thank you, Chelsea. That's just as important. It's pretty. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? It doesn't. Uh, just want to encourage you guys, all of these different disciplines, all of these different practices, they're areas for us to grow in. None of us are like level 10 experts in any one of these areas. Maybe some of us are further along than others, but we need one another to provoke us in order to, in order to see us grow 
in all of these areas if we're going to be mature disciples of Jesus and understanding it's a journey. Does that make sense? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.